0: The dumbest thing that people could do now is like quit at this point in time. 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 I feel even though the last the events of the last few weeks or even like this year, there have been so many massive blow ups, trust has been completely shattered in the space. space, space, space. If you sort of take your hand off the past or you go like change in the and do something else. A few years, a few years. You might just miss everything else that's happening. So I, I would say just stick to it there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in crypto not just in DeFi NFTs like social tokens games there's really like something for everyone right now I would strongly advise strongly advise strongly advise So just stick around, stick around stick around get deep in the space really learn as much as you can right now right now
1: All right, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. What is up? I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening and watching another epic episode of the Charlie Shrem Show of Untold Stories, where twice a week together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to truly understand how this movement came to be. I'm your host, been around this space, this industry for over 10 years. I started some of the craziest companies, did some of the craziest things, a lot of fun along the way met a lot of amazing people. And this podcast is where we sit for 45 minutes and we talk about the conversations of the day. But also, more importantly, I want to understand things, education and entertainment. I want to learn things. I want you guys to learn. I want us to all have fun doing it and laugh. And I want us to be smarter than our friends. As simple as that, I want us to be able to bring up any subject at a dinner party this Thanksgiving or whatever you're celebrating, even if you're not doing anything or just hanging out with some friends. I want us to be able to talk about these things with confidence because I'm shaken too. I mean, it's been a scary few weeks. Yeah, I know I've been through a lot of these bull and bear cycles before, over 10 of them. I've seen Bitcoin go from a dollar to crash till $0.10. Cents. I actually lost almost all of my early life savings buying Bitcoin at $32 and watching it crash back down to 6 And luckily, I kept a few of them. After selling it. But there's a lot of really cool topics today. I want to focus on like kind of what's gonna really uh bring us to the next wave. And I really think a lot of that is based on the products that people are building now. And to talk about it today, let me welcome my guest Julian Co. Thank you. Julian, thank you so much for coming. It's it's late for you. It's it's evening. You should be out with your friends, but instead you're you're with your friends here.
0: Yeah, no, I am excited to be on. Part of my job is uh doing a lot of these podcasts. So yeah, just very happy to, to do this. I have also been following you and your show for a few years. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Thank you. What's cool is that whenever we're about to get into a show, I always like to Google the person's name, but in my own Gmail inbox, because I feel like I've spoken. You can't even believe how many guests will be like, yeah, we met, or I spoke to them 10 years ago about something, or they, they were working at some other company before. But actually, before you and I met today, I have emails from you going back three years from medium.com because you were writing a lot on medium about some very, very good subjects about yield, tendermint, cosmos and things like that. And medium was actually recommending them to me as, as posts that I would enjoy reading. So thanks for, for, for upping my education in 2018 and 19.
0: Yeah, no, that's interesting. I think back then I was still like in university. So I was just like, on the side, writing, learning as much as I could, and thankfully a lot of these like blog posts sort of went viral-ish in like the bear market of last cycle. So I'm happy to to see that medium that the medium algo helped to promote this stuff yeah. beyond my my direct reach. Okay, so that's that, that's actually a great. I'm
1: really happy you brought that up. That's like a perfect, perfect, perfect subject that I love diving into. Here you are, you're the co-founder and the CEO of Ribbon Finance. I want to talk about decentralized finance in a little bit, talk about yield. I really want to spend some time on that a little bit later. You previously, you were software engineering at Coinbase, one of the top companies in the space. You worked at Metastable Capital as a consultant. But like you said, in the last bear market, you were at Cornell University. You were writing these blog posts. Do you remember, I know it was only a few years ago, but do you remember like ever thinking to yourself, will there be another bull market? Like, why were you willing to enter this space during such bad times of 2018.
0: I, I joined this space in sort of 2016, 2017. So seeing that whole ICO boom was my first cycle. And I think I was like a freshman in university. I, I was maybe too naive to think about. I didn't have like the cynical, the level of like cynicism that maybe I do now. I, I, I just had this naive thought that, okay, obviously there'll be a new cycle. A lot of this stuff is still very interesting. I didn't have any other like huge interest outside of crypto at that point in time. So maybe you call it like luck or a bit of faith. But yeah, I think I just felt from a gut feel that stuff would get better in a few years. And um, yeah, I just thought, you know, learning all this stuff was really interesting. Just reading about different like consensus algorithms, like learning how different blockchains worked at a very fundamental level. I think I got sucked into the ICO hype as well in 2017 obviously just trying to make money and then do all that kind of stuff. What really kept me going after that was, you know, just learning this stuff. It was very, very interesting. So yeah, I, I never really thought about, is there actually going to be a next cycle or not? Although I I do think like nowadays people, this is like coming up again in a lot of crypto Twitter circles about, you know, is is it over and all that. So yeah, I find it quite interesting. I I feel it, it doesn't feel the same as, you know, five years ago.
1: It looks like out of the drama of over like 10 centralized, what do we call them? I don't like calling them exchanges, but I've been using them for so long, like companies that custody centralized companies that custody user funds. Let's call them, I guess, exchanges. Sorry? Crypto banks. Yeah, crypto banks. Okay. Well, the bank, the word bank implies like a banking regulation, which I would be okay with if, if there were some similar banking regulation frameworks around, let's call them CFI. You know, centralized finance, uh, we would be looking in a very different world today. But unfortunately, most of these, other than Coinbase, m- most of these CFI companies are like jurisdictional hodgepodge between the Bahamas and UAE and Delaware and all this craziness going on. I don't want to be a user holding my money in one of these places. I'm not even going to bring up a story about what happened last night to me. I was like, that's an, I'll tell that story in a little bit. I was like bombarded by people asking me what's going on and I wasn't expecting the conversation. My wife had to like come and be like, don't bully my husband, but it's like craziness in the crypto world right now.
0: Yep. I think, um, I mean, I was also affected by the FDX stuff personally, unfortunately, but it's just like so crazy and like unfathomable that this company, which had all this social legitimacy from every single big name VC and celebrities and like regulators, they were the worst actor, which is just like ironic. But I suppose it's like a good reminder that, you know, the core principles of like not your keys, not your coins yeah. it is sort of like a timely reminder because people have forgotten that over the last like five years.
1: I want to talk about real yield in, in a little bit because that is something so real and I feel like that's been left behind. And now decentralized finance is, is seeming to be like the biggest winner from all these collapsing decentralized finance. Let's go back to like 2016, 17, we're in the ICO boom and Uniswap is invented. And that was like a huge technological advance for DeFi. Why? Why was that like next level for for this decentralized finance?
0: When Uniswap first started, it was really more like a toy. I think even I was like pretty bearish on that. Okay, why would I use this when liquidity on Binance, Bitfinex, all these exchanges were just so much better. And I think really when the bull market somewhat came back, there were all these new assets that just got, got created all over, all over again. And these centralized exchanges were just too slow in listing them, getting market makers, building on liquidity and all that. So that was really like Uniswap's best opportunity to just grab as much attention and market share as possible. And I think, you know, over the years, nowadays they are like, Uniswap itself is really competitive on like ETUSD pairs. They've gone from being used for shitcoin trading to, they, they do the same volume as Binance for like yeah. the, the, the majors. Definitely seeing it grow from like a toy to something that actually works now. And so now
1: you have Ribbon Finance and you have dozens of other, would you call them like suites of DeFi protocols out there. Your volume is growing and this has all been going on in the background. Cfi background, 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 background. used to not do what DeFi was offering. DeFi did it first, right? Like DeFi right. offered yield. You wrote a blog post in before FTX, even you will, you have a blog post from two years ago about yield, but people have been writing about the simple idea of depositing two different type of tokens in a Uniswap pool and earning a piece of the spread because you're putting your tokens up at risk it's not a new idea, but it's novel to be able to to do it in a decentralized way. During those years of like 2019, 2020, it would be like we saw DeFi explode, right? DeFi exploded during that bull market. So I guess my question is, CeFi never did what what DeFi did. I know the acronyms, everyone's probably going crazy, but decentralized finance protocols were, were doing it. Companies like Coinbase, Gemini, Bitfinex weren't doing lending, liquidity pools, vaults. It wasn't until some of these ones that collapsed, like Celsius, Voyager, and and FTX, why did they start doing DeFi, and why did people go there? Why was there $16 billion in FTX, but not in Ribbon Finance?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think... um... We, we, we have seen like a con, con, um, conversions between like the C5 players and DeFi players in like the last two years. I think, you know, first the users of these major DeFi protocols, Compound Finance, Aave, MakerDAO, these were all mostly used by crypto native folks. Maybe in 2018, 2019, 2020, it was mostly DeFi native folks. And I think once 2021 hit, all, all these sort of centralized players just realized. Look, there's all this economic activity that's happening in, in these DeFi protocols. Plus, these DeFi protocols are giving us free tokens to to use their platform. Why aren't we just like taking all our customer funds and putting it there instead? So, I, I think you know Celsius and Coinbase, uh, FTX, or a bunch of these other exchanges. Um, maybe they used to just not do anything with the customer funds, keep it safe. But they they just saw this as like a really really attractive opportunity for for them to be sort of like this middleman between retail users who don't know how to use DeFi. And, and they, they would sort of take all their money and, and farm the, the heck out of everything in DeFi. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of them just saw the opportunity to like bridge that gap. I think it made sense from like a business perspective for them. And interestingly, you know, after all these companies collapsed, like we, we just realized, oh, actually so many of these DeFi protocols were just most of the users actually came from these large players. So it's a little bit ironic in a sense. Yeah, I think having those people, having those companies bridge the gap between their regular retail audience and getting them into yeah. these DeFi protocols was like a huge growth driver for DeFi.
1: When, when there was like a huge term for it, like yield farming, right? Liquidity, you know, liquidity mining, yield farming. I like that. I was like, well, I'm decently good at this. And this will probably be like a niche... Job inside of crypto. It's it's not easy to do, but it's if you work enough, if you learn enough about it and understand the different chains and the risks that keyword risk involved, you could properly do DeFi and Yield Farm and make a little bit of an income off of it as an individual, maybe a small right. business. And a lot of people were really doing that. And that's like I called that like DeFi summer. It was this huge flourishing of all these DeFi protocols. It's like farming, right? It's not a hard concept to understand that you could put seeds in the ground and grow food, but we all know that that's right. not as simple as that. We leave it to the to the professionals, but there is money to be made in doing agriculture and 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 ranching and things like that if especially if that's what you like to do and whatever right tokenizing farming and then doing it at sixteen billion dollars at scale without any risk or you know that's kind of seems like what happened
0: right. right yeah, I think you know. It, it sounds all good in theory because these decisions of which protocols to use, how do we spend the money was really in the hands of like, I don't know, five, 10 people. There were occasions that we saw like very weird stuff happening. For example, I think there was this story of one of the guys who managed like the Celsius balance sheet. Like he just took some of those funds and bought a bunch of NFTs of like, like random NFTs. You know, his job was to Take those customer deposits, generate a yield on it. It ended up being a bunch of random stuff. It's because I think people just didn't care about controls of what they were allowed to do with customer funds. It just ended up becoming like a mess really quickly.
1: So let's, let's keep getting into this. So you have Ribbon Finance. And one of the really cool things about DeFi is that you go to any of these really cool protocols, you go to uh, ribbon.finance. I'm going to go over there right now. As a yield farmer, because now we're all yield farmers, one of the jobs you have to do is understand risk, understand lending risk, understand when you're looking at these, like you have your USDC or your USDT or your your Bitcoin in some instances, you have your crypto and you want to deposit in these vaults because they're offering attractive APYs. And you go to these places and we look. And we, we look at like, some of these are offering higher APYs. Some of these are offering lower APYs. One of the things that we have to do, and I'm going to ask you how in a little bit, is, is when we have to figure out risk. We have to figure out some of these places, it's going to be higher risk. Some of them are going to be lower risk. Wow, Ribbon Finance, you have a lot of stuff going on here. This is really cool. So I go to app.ribbon.finance and I'm a yield farmer. What am I looking at here?
0: Yeah, so how we describe ourselves is we are like the first and largest structured products protocol in DeFi. So what that really means is uh, we offer these products that do a bunch of complicated derivative strategies under the hood. And for users, it's sort of really easy. We abstract all that complexity away for users. Obviously, the question is, this is the yield that we are hoping we'll get. What is the risk? And I think for us, we make it very clear that our products are not this risk-free, high APY thing like you know, some of the Luna Terra stuff. I think we make it explicitly clear. You are getting paid this yield because you're selling an option. So the reason why people want to use this in the first place is, let's say you're sitting on 100 Bitcoin or, or 100 Ether or something. If you stick it in a lending protocol like Aave or Compound, the lending rates for these crypto assets are generally pretty low. If you look at like Aave, the Bitcoin rate is maybe 10 basis points or 20 basis points a year. That's mostly because people want to borrow dollars. They don't want to borrow Bitcoin. Naturally, the, the rate of lending those Bitcoins are pretty low. So, so what else can you do with your Bitcoin? I think Nothing. one... Exactly. So one um, interesting thing that we saw in you know, 2018, 2019 was in Asia, there were a lot of these like brokers that were selling these yield products to Bitcoin miners, especially. You know, mm-hmm. Bitcoin miners have so much Bitcoin, they, they don't know how to generate yield with it. A lot of them were you know, experts in electrical engineering. They were experts in like infrastructure, but not necessarily sort of the finance side of things. These brokers would come in and sell them these structured products where they'll say, you know, if you own a thousand Bitcoin and you think Bitcoin is not going to go up by 50% in the next month or something, If you think Bitcoin is like just going to range for the next few months, you can actually monetize that view. You can sell a call option against your Bitcoin that basically says like, Hey, Bitcoin is 17K now. I don't think Bitcoin is going to go beyond like 20K in the next two weeks. So I'm willing to sell all all the future upside in case it goes above 20K and you get paid a premium upfront for that. It might be like pretty complicated for you to go and execute yourself. Our main products is we just help you do this over and over again every single week.
1: So you'd have to understand like a strategy, like a a covered call. So you go here, what's really cool about this, this is really good valuable lessons to be able to, because DeFi is amazing and DeFi is very safe as long as the protocol itself doesn't get hacked. But there's nothing you could really do about that as long as you're sticking to the top like 10 protocols and blockchains but I want us to be able to understand the difference between like depositing our money and using DeFi and then using CeFi. One of the problems with CeFi is that these places can basically cut off everyone's withdrawals. Here, everything's happening on a smart contract. Your user application that I'm looking at with the colors and the designs and the graphics is merely just an interface showing what the contract is doing, but the contract itself, handles the depositing, the withdrawing, and the actual strategy. And what's cool is that you kind of go into what the strategy does. Here I'm looking at the covered, the RAP BTC one. And what's interesting is that you actually cap the capacity at only around 750 Bitcoin. Why are you capping it? If you have an amazing strategy and people are making a lot of money, what do you want? Like unlimited amount of people?
0: Initially, we, we did these things as just a way to control the inflows and outflows so we don't have like a surprise 10,000 BDC deposited or something crazy. So yeah, I think we generally want to grow in like sort of steady pace. So we, 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 we just set the, these caps when people deposit Bitcoin and, and the vaults fill up, then we increase the caps. I think it's just helpful for us to make sure things don't go out of control too quickly. So yeah, I think that's sort of something we've been doing since the beginning and, and we, we still do that today.
1: What, what yield number scares you? Okay, so basically, when, when you're talking about yields, you have to already be long the token. And that's what I explained to people. I said, what tokens are you already holding? And they tell me this one. Let's just say it's, it's AVAX. And I say, okay, if you're already holding or long a token, then there's great ways to, to get yield on it and keep it in a smart contract where you're still maintaining your keys or the contract is, but you could be getting 10% APY a year. So something like that, where does the yield come from in that sense?
0: Yeah, so maybe for Ribbon specifically, as I mentioned, the yield in our case, in some of these DeFi protocols, it's like totally unclear where the yield comes from. And I think people should just generally stay away from things that they don't understand. I think for us, it's very obvious. You're getting paid a yield because you're selling a call option. So you do have some risk. So let's say, you know, in the example that I gave above, you, you hold one Bitcoin, is currently 17K, and you sell a 20,000 call option. If Bitcoin goes to 30K tomorrow, like you'll still only have sold the Bitcoin at 20K. So you would have given up all the upside. But, but what's the chances of Bitcoin sort of doubling in the next few days? It's probably pretty low, especially in this type of environment. People feel like the markets are not sort of primed to, to do anything crazy anytime soon. And because you are expressing this market view, you're selling like a real call option against your Bitcoin. You, you're really selling a risk and you're getting paid for that. So I think in our case, it kind of makes a lot more sense of like, you're getting paid this yield because you're selling some risk. So it's not free money that com- comes out of thin air. You are taking a financial position and taking a view on the market.
1: That's really interesting how that, how that works. Wow. I'm really impressed by, by all this. And then... Kind of the next level of this is you have all these DeFi protocols, but the governance is not owned or run anymore by individuals. It's now a, a DAO or voting shares. Uh, do you guys have that as well?
0: Yep, we do. So we, we started this about, the, the, the whole project is about two years old and we launched like the DAO officially like a year, a year and a half ago. So it has been going on for quite a while now. How many users are we talking about? I think the last time I checked, we had something in the range of like 10 to 20,000 users. Some are big, some are small, but uh, that is sort of like the headline number.
1: Do you have like a powerful community?
0: Yeah, I think one interest, I, I think maybe we were lucky or maybe we, we just took the right actions. But yeah, we, we seem to have like a pretty sticky community that some of them are intellectually interested in this type of stuff. So they stick around whether their coins are going up or down.
1: That's a really good point because in other industries, people are like, What's, I don't understand this whole community aspect. Like why would someone want to join the chat group of like an application that they're using? And I'm explaining yeah. that. I'm explaining that most people are just, very intellectually stimulated by this technologies that we're building out because it's so new. And it's like every day, it's like, oh shit, we just came up with something new or invented something new. Yep. There's a lot that's really exciting about the future. Going back, so last night I was just at a friend's house and there was a bunch of people that I didn't know. And I got a, like a bunch of people kind of were asking me about the whole FTX situation and about Bitcoin and and crypto. And I just kept saying, I'm like, yeah, I'm just really sad. I'm just really sad about what happened. That's just kind of how I feel because it's like almost going through like stages of grief, maybe. But I guess the the way to doing this show maintains my excitement, of course, talking to you, being able to talk to the, to the listeners, feedback. Oh my God, I hear Uber drivers all the time tell me they listen to the show. I love the feedback. I'm probably going to rename the show the Charlie Shrem show, because I meet some really amazing people that I want to bring on that's not just related to to crypto. Getting back to what keeps me going and excites me is the future of this. Because I really do believe that in the future, everything we do, everything we touch will be a blockchain, a protocol, a DeFi, something down the road. What are you building? What do you have like on your long-term roadmap? What do you want? What do you want to be able to launch in a year from now?
0: This recent FTX incident sort of just strengthened our value proposition a lot, I think. If you put your funds within FTX and maybe you use one of their, their yield products, you have no idea where the coins are. People didn't care about that over the last few years. Maybe people forgot about these uh, counter, well, what counterparty risk meant. People thought SGF was a good actor. But now people are sort of very aware of okay, we actually need to know where our money is. So all these exchanges are posting like proof of reserves and all this stuff. Yeah. And I think using a protocol like ours is awesome because people can literally just click into the Ether scan link. They literally see all the Ether or all the red Bitcoins sitting in that contract. They, they can call the contract and, and, and look at how many tokens are, are sitting inside of it. It's sort of as if these products have proof of reserves by default. And I think that'll be just a much stronger value proposition than using one of these like opaque custodians or one of these opaque crypto banks that sort of take your money in and do a bunch of random stuff with it. This was like our core product for the last year or two years. We we've been working on like a new project in stealth for like the last six to twelve months. And I think we are very excited for it. It is called Avo. It's a decentralized options exchange. We think that the crypto markets have moved from Spot markets to derivatives, particularly in the derivatives markets, people are trading like futures, especially like these perpetual futures. We think the next leg of growth is not going to come from these futures, but it's going to come from a bit more complicated products such as options. And we think the market's sort of ripe for someone to actually build like the best options trading experience in DeFi. And we are trying to position ourselves as that. We we announced this about a month or two ago and yeah, hope hopefully launching it in the next month or so.
1: Congratulations.
0: Thank you very much.
1: We need to you need to really get more this is exciting, but get me get me more deep into this. Why why do you think options are the future? It sounds like there's a little bit more, isn't there like redemption risk where how do you redeem the option for the actual underlying asset?
0: Maybe stepping back a bit like why we think options are gonna be an important part of the next wave or next cycle is because we think in the last, in this year especially, the bull market has really hit all of us pretty hard. We have seen like these volumes of all these perps and all these exchanges. Yeah. I think it has collapsed sort of 50, 60, 70%. But interestingly, like the open interest on these options contracts has like steadily grown. Just, just like a month or two ago, like the open interest for ETH options was at all-time high, even in like the depths of a bear market. We just have like pretty strong evidence that the market's getting more sophisticated in general. People are trading these things more and more and more. And, you know, I think maybe a bit more like of a macro shift is, you know, in like the world of TradFi, retail customers, are Robinhood traders are getting really sophisticated. Robinhood traders, are, they, they know how to buy these GameStop calls and, and stuff like that. We do think that's just like a broad shift for retail customers to become more and more financially savvy. Yeah, we think... If or when they come back to crypto, they will want to trade options because that's what they've traded in on their Robinhood app. So yeah, that's why we're sort of bullish on the whole sector and we're trying to position ourselves as like the the leading product in, in DeFi that offers this.
1: Yeah, if you look at actually, I'm looking at the numbers now, monthly DeFi volume and growth, and it looks like over the last two months, it's actually the numbers have been, have been rising. It uh, looks like vo- volume has been growing. In fact, there's actually... There's an article here from four days ago saying that trading volumes on decentralized exchanges and protocols hit 32 billion dollars over the last seven days over the collapse of these okay. uh, centralized financial protocols so DeFi is the big winner in the future here and i'm going to spend a lot of time like wow the volume in the last seven days and everything DeFi growth is just is just phenomenal it looks like What can't DeFi do yet that CFI can do? I guess the the relationship between users like actual bank accounts and these DeFi protocols, you you need more regulation to be able to do things like that, right?
0: Correct. Yeah, I think um, the primary thing that DeFi is really bad at is basically getting real institutional adoption. The reason for that is because a large hedge fund or a large family office or or a bank, they, they want someone to call. If something goes wrong, it feels very foreign that they are just talking to a smart contract. So I think a lot of the institutions we've spoken to, you know, if they want to use River and it's like, who are they going to KYC? Like, are they going to KYC the contract? It doesn't really make sense. So I think these things don't fit into their mental model right now. I do think it'll take a bit of time, but we have seen like the more crypto native or the more adventurous institutions are sort of just bringing it and getting into it because they know that's sort of where they have like a leg up over their competitors. But I do think it'll take a while before this becomes actually mainstream or acceptable by every big bank.
1: Shit, we were just, we were just talking about this like earlier in the episode. Just when the governments are about to figure out how to regulate Coinbase's and CeFi, now CeFi is doing something completely different. Right. What FTX and the likes did Versus what they were doing recently is completely different. It would almost be like a whole different type of licensing scheme. This shit moves too fast. Right. So right, right. I like I understand on the regulation side, it's like hard for them to figure this stuff out because it just moves right. too fast, and they it, they're gonna waste their time. And it's so I don't know. Some countries have done this like one stop shop. If you do anything crypto, register with us because we don't know how to regulate this shit. But at least we can communicate with you. Maybe that's what the US government should do. Like, I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I know that you guys do want like clarification, right? Like you someone said the other day, it's not just clarification. It's like good regulation too. So I
0: don't know. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, this stuff is still very subjective. No one really has like a clear view on, there's so many interpretations of, yeah. of, of what these things actually mean. And I think, historically the easiest ways to actually understand what is good and what is good. What is bad is just through example. I do think there'll be some hits that need to get chopped off and maybe some others who are sort of a bit more blessed with the government's approval before we have a sense of like, okay, that's allowed, but that's not allowed. And obviously it differs from every jurisdiction. So yeah. these things really just change like, all the time.
1: As we're getting towards the end of the show, first, I want to say thank you the information that you're giving us and the, the lessons that you're teaching us are great. And I hope people start to have a continued non-jadedness when it comes to DeFi, because you guys are really going to be the clear winners in a year or two from now when we look back. And then actually, the industry is looking to you to fill the holes and the vacuums that CFI is leaving behind. So you definitely have a, a hard job doing that. But I want to kind of wrap it up. A lot of my listeners are actually working at crypto companies. They, they, they are like you, uh, university, and they're jumping to the next level. Maybe they're working at a different job and they want to work in crypto or they're, just, they're interested in it in general. Maybe they have. I've learned that the, because crypto and Bitcoin move so fast, you learn a lot of lessons, positive and negative. Do you have any for my listeners? I mean, you launched Ribbon in a bear market. So that's a lesson right there. But what is something that you wish everyone knew?
0: Yeah, I think um I, I read this on Twitter actually, so I'm just gonna steal it from someone else. But I think like the dumbest thing that people could do now is quit at this point in time. I feel like even though the lot the events of the last few weeks or even like this year, there have been so many massive blowups, trust has been completely shattered in the space. If if you sort of take your, your hand off the parcel or you go like change. Industries and do something else for a few years, you might just miss everything else that's happening. So I I would say just stick to it. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening in crypto, not just in DeFi, but like NFTs, social tokens, games. There's really like something for everyone right now. I I would strongly advise people to just stick around, get deep in the space, really learn as much as you can. Hopefully, there'll be a next cycle, or hopefully, this stuff comes back at some point. Yeah, I think it's a very easy trap to just like leave and hopefully yeah. try to come back in time.
1: In the, last, in the last bear market, I produced this movie with my wife. Like we were looking, for, we needed something to do outside of crypto. So we made a romantic <laughs> comedy together and she's starring in it. That's, that's her actually. And, uh, <laughs> it's streaming everywhere, Apple TV and Amazon, so everyone can go watch it. It's really funny. Nice. But, but I missed when I was doing that and living on set every day. It's like a two-year project, a year and a half. Nice. I, I missed I missed crypto. I missed this. Uh, one of the things I missed was I missed knowing what I'm talking about and not having to mm. like kind of make... I, I felt so uncomfortable in the film business because there was so much that I didn't know. I mean, and you don't know what you don't know. That's probably the right. biggest thing in life. If you start to think that you know what you don't know, that's where you're going to fail because there's so much that we don't know still. I mean, oh my God, it's like life is like an onion, but everything is like that. But at least in our industry, knock on wood, we kind of know what we don't know, at least when it comes to the technology itself, right? And right. That's, that's why I like math, to be honest. Like I, I find comfort in <laughs> mathematics for that reason.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that, that's, that's like good advice. I mean, even if you, you don't have to be like glued, glued to your screens for like the next six months But you should still like try and keep sort of your pulse on on the space. But yeah, I mean, go produce a movie or do something else. I'm sure that's probably much more fun than watching screens all day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the the screen watching all day is definitely the killer. But like you said, it's now time is the biggest value proposition. The longer you've been around, the longer your business and your company has been around or your project, the more validation you have or like approval of existence. So don't go anywhere. don't go anywhere well thank you Julian I appreciate you taking the time today how can my listeners follow you we'll have all your links and everything in the show notes
0: the best place to keep in touch with what we're working on is Twitter so twitter.com slash ribbonfinance and yeah all the helpful links are there so thank you for having me on as well
1: I'll see you later have a great night